0: So why not us? I struggle with that question because I normally ask the question, why not me? We live in a world where me is central. Let me give you a couple examples. When the lottery gets to be more than $500 million, how many of you go, okay, God, I'm going to spend a dollar, maybe $2 and buy a ticket? because why not me? If you let me win, I would give this, I would give money to the church. We'd buy our building back. I'd give money to the camp that I serve. Um, I would do these things for all these people that I love that can't seem to get ahead. And you know, deep down, I'm like, and I'd be able to do this and this and this, and I get that car and that guitar and a coffee roaster. And it just goes, it goes south really quick for me. Maybe for you, it's a job you're at a job and you see somebody you put in for a new promotion and somebody else gets it and you go god why not me and the the pity party and the struggle cycles and cycles and cycles or maybe in just a word of advice don't search for true love before valentines day on the internet because you get all kinds of unhelpful pictures of like heart, hands, and really sappy, cruddy stuff. So I used Princess Bride because Princess Bride is all about true love. And maybe you're in a quest for true love. And and that is a good thing, but at the same time, if you are bound to somebody and you don't feel that, and then your mind starts cycling, I deserve something more. and The me just gets in the way. And that's a lot of times where my brain and my heart goes. Why? not me. And so when we focus on the me, we lose focus on God and what he has called us to do. Because we read multiple times in the Gospels, Jesus says, you need to die to yourself to live for me. And so if we think of why am why am when i am me focused if i get my words out when i'm me focused i define myself i do what i want to do and the world revolves around me and i think that's why the book of acts is good for us because when we read the book of acts we see people not doing that in acts 2 we see a church where people gather together And they're getting rid of their stuff to care for others. And they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And they're just the right people living the right way. We see Peter and John doing things that Jesus did. No matter what the cost. Healing a guy in the temple and then ending up in front of the Sanhedrin. Getting told, hey, don't do these things. And they say, "Mm, we're not going to do what you say because we follow a God and we're going to be God-focused, and we're going to share the gospel, this good news that Jesus was crucified, he rose, and he lives and sits at the right hand of the Father. So that's why it's good for us to read Acts, even though it stands against our nature to say, me, 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 me. So let's talk about Paul, because if you've been reading along with us, You're probably closing out on your journey and you've already read some stuff about Paul, but this is who Paul is. Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees before Jesus got a hold of him. He knew the law. He was raised up as a good, faithful Jewish guy. He followed Gamaliel, who was one of the high priests. He was a zealot. He was out, as we read uh, in the front half of Acts, and he was trying to kill... Christians because they were going against what he believed, and yet Jesus on the Damascus Road got a hold of him, and made him blind, and said, "Paul, why are you persecuting me? You are going to be my voice to the Gentiles." And from that moment, Paul's life is changed. And as we read, we see him do three missionary journeys. Um, our our talk today we're going to be in Acts sixteen. So if you have your Bible open it up to Acts 16. Uh, We're going to start a little bit down, I think, verse 16. But this is a picture of Paul's missionary journey, his second one. Took him about three years. Our story is way up in the far left corner where he is at Philippi in Greece, where being a Christian and being a Jew is no good because the law of the land is Roman's. Roman citizenship, Roman beliefs, Roman gods. And so anytime you stand against those, you get in trouble. But we're going to see as we look at this passage how Paul is gospel-focused and he doesn't care about anything else. So let's dig in. Verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. So she's demon-possessed. She's owned by somebody who is enjoying the benefits of her being able to tell the future, reaping the money. And anytime Paul and his entourage goes by her, she is screaming this out. And it's not the Most High God, this Yahweh, this Jesus, that Paul is talking about. She's just saying, he's talking about this Most High God, and most people are thinking about Roman gods. And that Paul doesn't act the first time is amazing to me, because Paul seems like a get-it-done type of guy. But as we continue reading We see in verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Um, The whole way through this, every time that I've read anything in Acts this last few weeks, I've asked the question, why not us? So why not us? Have you ever had somebody walking behind you as you go to do something, screaming, hey, these people are, are telling about how you can follow the most high God? Anybody? Yeah, no, not me. Anybody had to cast out a demon out of a slave girl doing this? And the why not us is so hard. Because it makes me go, well, why not? Uh, let's, let's move on. Verse 19, when her owners realized that her, their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. In the marketplace was where there was a common judgment seat, and the marketplace was where all the conversation of that town happened. It was sort of like the city hall. It was where the market was. It was where all the movers and shakers were. It was where you went to have good theological discussion which was what everything was about back then they brought them before the magistrates and they said these men before uh, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice so Paul and Silas cast out the demon out of this slave girl and their owner is mad because he's lost. He, he didn't win the lottery. His lottery ticket is gone now. And so he's ready to get retribution from Paul and Silas. Um, which is, you know, maybe that's why Paul didn't cast the demon out right, right at the start. But um, it says in verse 22, then the crowd joined in the attack against Paul in silence. So we need to pause here for a second and talk about uh, this idea that they're asking us and claiming us to do things that are against us as Romans. If you were a good Roman citizen, your decree was Caesar is God. Caesar is God and the Roman gods are all that. They are who you look to, they are who you bow to, they are who you pay your taxes to. Paul and Silas are saying, there is this God that we follow who is above and beyond this Caesar God. And so the people joining in this uh, sort of melee of Peter or Paul and Silas are saying, yeah, these guys are telling us to do things that are going to get us Killed because we're good Romans. Because if you didn't say Caesar is God, that was idolatry. And you were not either respected or you were killed. So the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates, ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Any of you ever been flogged or beaten because of your faith? I had a friend make fun of me once when I was in high school. But uh, we, live in a, we live in a place where uh, we can handle our faith fairly. The question would be if we We're a little more bold in our faith. Would that happen? Is that on its way as the world gets more crazy and crazy? I don't know. But when I pause and ask the question, why not us? It makes me think about how I am living. Do I need to take a step forward in my faith? Uh, This jailer guy. He takes Paul and Silas and puts them in the inner cell in the farthest most Inner place in the jail puts them in stocks so that they can't get free. They're there with other people around, and um, it, you know, if I'm Paul or Silas, this doesn't look very good. I've been flogged and beaten, and I'm in jail. Where is my God? And we find out about that in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. They got beat and they were thrown in prison, yet they're singing and praying. Their mindset is totally different than, you know, I would hope that my mindset would be there, but I know who I am. I don't know that it would be that way. And so picture yourself for a moment, somebody who's, Three chains down, listening to these two guys that have been beaten. You probably know the story because you heard the commotion, because the jail's somewhere close right there where this is all happening. What are you thinking? Are these guys crazy? They're singing and praising even though they're in trouble and they've been beaten and flogged and they're in jail. Verse 26 Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And if you read the scholars, this earthquake, uh, it, it frees Paul and Silas, but it is showing the God's judgment on the poor proceedings that had happened, that these two men had been judged Or at least this is how the Romans and the people around there would have taken it, because earthquakes symbolize God's judgment. Uh, Think of, I just read in my Bible reading, where some of the Levites challenge Moses and Aaron. And Moses, God tells Moses, hey, get everybody together. I'm going to show who it is. And it's going to be you, Aaron, and you, Moses, and the other ones. God opens up an earthquake And they are swallowed. It's that idea, this judgment that comes from above. And the jailer's response helps us to see that. When the jailer woke up, and who wouldn't wake up in an earthquake? When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself We are all here. Now one would think, if you're beaten, and you're in stocks and chains, and there's an earthquake and you are freed, I would think, I'm going to get up and go. Right? Chance to get out because God has sent His judgment, He's freed me. Not Paul. Paul is there waiting for the moment. Verse 29. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And we got to string string, uh, the connections to the earthquake here in the jailer's mind. The jailer has heard... These men are selling a God that doesn't fit these gods that we know. Then the earthquake happens. Paul says, hey, we're all still here. And so the jailer's like, okay, the gods that I'm following, uh, it had to be your God that judged this because the stocks and everything are off. So how do I follow your God? Door opens. Paul walks through. He, he could have done so many things differently, but he's using the moment to allow the gospel to lead. Verse 31. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all of the others in his house, his family, Everybody, all of his servants, uh, the people that were working the jail probably, they were part of this commune. And when they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all his household was baptized. The jailer had no reason. He had no reason. He had no response to deal with their wounds. His goal, his chore, his responsibility was to lock them in the inner cell and keep them safe. And yet in this moment, because of Paul and Silas and how they've reacted and how they're showing love, he changes and he becomes the caregiver. We see this earlier in the story right before this where uh, Lydia gets shared the gospel And right after she accepts the gospel, she's like, okay, you guys are coming and stay out of my house because I can take care of you. Um, The gospel and the way that it changes people in Acts is um, amazing. Next time you read Acts or maybe you should read through Acts this week and see how people respond when they accept the gospel and see the change that happens. But the jailer, he washes their wounds and he and his household are baptized right there, right then. Paul and Silas could have claimed that, well, Paul could have. He could have said way in front when he was getting beat, I'm a Roman citizen, you can't do this. But he didn't. When God said the earthquake and the chains came off, they could have left. But he didn't. He was gospel focused. And then we close out this story. Verse 34, the jailer brought them into his house. They're not in the cell anymore. The jailer brought them to his house, and he set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So if you just think about the jailer for a minute and just the whirlwind, he hears... This ruckus in these two guys being judged. He probably hears or sees them being beaten. He puts them in jail. He sees this earthquake and his whole world is turned upside down. Paul and Silas don't need to be in Philippi. They could have been wherever they wanted to do, doing whatever they wanted to do. Waiting on the lottery, looking for the right job. uh, Owning the right sheep, I don't know. Whatever you do when you live in Palestine. But they chose to put their lives into going around and sharing the gospel at no matter what the cost. As you've read, you've seen that Paul's been beaten multiple times. He was stoned once, drug outside the city, and he got up and went back in. That's, that's how gospel-focused Paul is. And So we have to ask the question, why not us? When I am gospel-focused, the gospel defines who I am not the shoes that I wear or the clothes that I wear or the car that I drive or the job that I have the gospel defines who I am the gospel defines what I do I get an easy pass because I'm a minister but it's easy for me to get lost in the busy work and to not do ministry um, you all you may make cars you may do this you may do that But what you do is you live out the gospel. And then finally, the world revolves around the gospel. And that's the hard one, because when we look at the news, we can get caught up in whatever's going on. I haven't looked at the news. For, For Lent, I don't know if any of you follow Lent. For Lent this year, I decided to give up Wasteful time on the internet. So I poke my head in on Facebook to see if I have any messages. Same way with Instagram. And then I could easily get lost for an hour in the news and this and that. And I haven't done that. I've read my Bible a ton in the last three days. But I have no idea what's going on in the world, what's going on in politics or whatever. And I I think that's a, for me, that's a good thing. But we have to realize that the world doesn't revolve around the world. We are a people who chase after God, and our world is God's kingdom. And that's what shapes how we see the world. And so the crux of it is we need to live gospel focused lives. That's the example we see Jesus do, that's how we see him train his disciples as he commissions them to go and make disciples, that's what we see in the book of Acts. That's what we see the church do time after time after time. And so my challenge to you is, what do you need to change to be gospel-focused? What do you need to let go of? What do you need to change? Um, and, And those are hard questions, but... We need to ask them because we're called to die to ourselves and to live for God. So here's the kick of that. Um, The next card, we've talked about this card um, a lot in the last month and a half. If you're in a spot where you want to make some sort of a change, this is the card you need to fill out because we have people who want to walk alongside of you as you make those decisions. Uh, could be simple stuff like, you know what, I spend more time on the internet than I do in the Bible, and I need to change that, so I'm going to commit to read a gospel in the course of a month. We'll keep you accountable. You want to do something more crazy like that? We'll keep you accountable. Um, these cards are on the communion tables. Uh, I would encourage you, if you haven't filled out one and you want somebody to encourage you and walk alongside of you, fill it out. You can give it to me, put it in one of the offering boxes. And we'll reach out to you this week because we want to help you to live gospel-focused lives. Because when we live gospel-focused lives, the world will change. And I have to tell you a story. So um, I, to not come to the office some days, because if I come into the office, the maintenance guys like Colin and Brian come and harass me and I get no work done. And so, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm a part of the Panera members sip club, which means I get really bad coffee and I'm going to start drinking decaf there. But I go to the Panera right around the corner and I have a booth that I sit in and I do work and I normally hit there at six o'clock, do my Bible study, write in my journal. About a month or so ago, I was there a little bit later and I was sitting over in the corner and there was this guy came in. Dressed really nicely, didn't look homeless. He had sweatpants on, really nice clean shoes. You could tell he was a sneakerhead. But he came in, he got some clear soda, and out of his bag, he got a couple 12 ounces of uh, Tennessee whiskey and this and that, and he got out his bottle of uh, Fireball. And over the course of the next two hours, he proceeded to drink two big 32-ounce sodas with libations and finish off his about an inch or so in his um, fireball. And then he disappeared, and I thought, you know, you should have. At one point he fell asleep, and I'm like, I should have talked to him. I was praying for him. You know, the Holy Spirit pokes you, and you know, because you run the other way, right? (laughs) And the Holy Spirit was poking me, and I didn't say anything to him. And I should have. So I'm back at Panera and I'm waiting, waiting for him to come in. I hope that you all have those challenges because that's what we're called to be. Let's pray. Lord, we know that you are good. We know that you are faithful. We see it in your word, we read it in the stories. We are products of your faithfulness because the witnesses that saw your son have shared the story and passed it to us. My prayer is that you help us to do the same. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. We're going to take time now to celebrate What Jesus did on the cross as we eat a piece of bread and a cup of juice, which reminds us of the gospel. My challenge to you is as you eat that piece of bread and as you drink that cup of juice, you ask the question, Okay, God, why not us? Why not me? Make your spirit bold as I'm interacting with people at work, as I'm driving down the road, as I'm at the store. Show me how you want me to move and allow us to be gospel focused. Let's stand and sing.